crowds. Um, but that is a lie. He uh, takes joy when just a few of us even gather together. It's clearly Travel Sunday for the Thanksgiving week. So a lot of our family is traveling. Some of them are sick. and We appreciate that they stayed home to not get the rest of us sick. Um, yeah. So Chris, come on up. We're going to read. Um, we're traveling this week. Really excited. Dr. Dave Hansen will be preaching next week here at Reservoir. He's the most often Thanksgiving weekend preacher. Um, so we're trying to cement that in the, the life of the church. But looking forward to the word he will bring. I will tune in next Sunday. Um, so I'll be watching Overlording. And you know, I can tie into the ring camera. So if I hear something a little heretical... You'll hear the voice of God say, no, that would be hilarious. I would totally do it, it was, but I trust Dave, so that's good. So turning your Bibles, we're in Luke 23. We're almost to the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke, which we've been studying this year. Um, and so we'll finish that first week in December, uh, looking forward to close it out. But we get to like the pivotal moment um, today in the crucifixion of Christ. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can find... In their events section, Reservoir Church, all the notes and scripture will be there for you. The scripture will be on the screen, or you can sit and just listen and hear it as Chris reads and prays for us this morning. Go for it, boss. Um, Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 56. And as they led him away... They seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people, and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold... The days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. There was also an, an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, when the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Lord, we thank you, God. Um, just gratitude fills our hearts. And we see all that you suffered, all that you endured, and all that, all of promise that you spoke, Lord, even in your last hours, God. And so we pray and ask that you would um, just quicken this word to our hearts, Lord, and as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, Lord, we, we just pray that um, as we sang this morning about you being hung on a tree, Lord, that um, we would remember, God, your destiny, what you came to earth for, what you um, and what you are as a gift to us, Lord, who you are. And we just pray um, that you would bless Jonathan's words today um, in the message to our hearts, that you would um, just encourage us to follow you, Lord, more dearly today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. So the cross of Christ is the defining moment for all of humanity. Not just for a few, but for every human who has ever lived. Think back of defining moments and certain sounds and statements came to mind this week. Do you take Stacy to be your lawfully wedded wife? I do, praise God, that I did. I swear to uphold and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And then uh, sign my name once I agreed to pay the amateurized amount over the next 30 years. I've done that a couple times. And uh, the plus sign on the test that someone else took indicated there was new life. And it was a defining moment. And then more often heard, do you want fries with this? Yes, I do. Right? These are all 
defining moments. And some are big and some are rather small, but they all shape, form, and build who we are and what we experience in life. And that, that is a warning. Don't say yes to fries too often because it will shape you and maybe not in the shape you want to be. But the roads that we take matter, the choices we make, the commitments that we are called to live up to, the questions we ask, they all help define us, make us who we are. And what we've arrived at in our study of Luke's gospel is the defining moment of all of humanity, not merely for Christians, but for all of world history. This is the shaping event. Nothing else in the history of humanity than maybe our initial creation matches the crucifixion of Jesus. I think as we've been going through the story, how did we get here? From the virgin birth, which we'll start to look to as we come into Advent. The moment of light announcing the arrival of the king. We saw the boy who declared that he had to be about his father's business. We saw temptation in the wilderness. Ministry to those that were in the synagogues. Ministry to those that were in the villages. To those that were on the roads. All hearing this good news of the kingdom. The claiming of the title of Son of Man. We've seen it in our study and the profession from his disciples that he was in fact the Christ of God, the Mashiach, the Anointed One. We've seen healing, feeding, restoring, and now his hour has come. And it's appropriate as we prepare to mark the arrival and look to Advent, we see his defining moment of his human life, that which makes the man, that which shapes us. The cross of Christ is the defining moment of all of humanity. And there is so much in this account, so much in these verses that Chris read for us this morning that we could mine it for weeks. We could probably do a whole year's study on Luke 23 and what it means for us. But for our purposes today, we just want to recognize that this moment is one that is confirming. It's a moment that is champion. I'll explain that. I needed a C word. And a moment that is compelling. So that's going to be our movements this morning. We start with this confirming moment. And it we look at this situation and the death of Christ and we wonder, well, what could it possibly be confirming? How can it possibly be something that puts things to rest for us? But Jesus has been put on trial. We've seen this, right? The religious elite that uh, of that day thought that he had too great of an impact and they sensed their control kind of slipping away from the people. So they sought to kill him. They sought to rid themselves of this prophet. And Judas turned on Jesus, and he leads the temple guard into the garden, and he then faces the religious council. He goes before the governor Pilate. He goes before this puppet king, Herod, and while there was no guilt to be found in him, the crowd still demanded his death. And since Pilate was in Jerusalem to oversee some executions to keep the people subdued as they celebrated the Passover. He bargained with the crowd and delivered Jesus over to their will. It's a terrible story and things that have unfolded, but the reality is the necessity of Jesus' death goes back 
further in the story, to the creation account of humanity's first decision to reject the way of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin for us is inherited more dominantly than the color of our eyes or the shade of our hair. It's baked into who we are. And all of scripture then becomes this flowing story for us of people in need of restoration and redemption and then our failure to live up to that. It's a story of grace, the careful claiming of a people for God that are invited in, but rarely get it right. And alongside all of that, there is this perpetual promise. The promise of a Messiah, the Christ that will come and make things right. Forgiving people for their sins and reigning over the expanse of the universe forever. Ever And so there's been this anticipation for the anointed one. We've seen it before, and we see it here in Joseph of Arimathea. There are many who lived looking for the kingdom of God. The promise would be experienced in all the while in our study of this book. There has been this abiding question of who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am becomes the vital question still for us today. Who do we say that Jesus is? And this death then is confirming who he is. It's confirming who he is by matching all that was promised. I've always been fascinated, especially by this gospel, by Acts, and some argue that Luke maybe wrote Hebrews as well. It's fascinating to me that he writes these things, that Luke, the Gentile doctor, uh, writes these things. He comes to faith after the resurrection, and he hasn't grown up memorizing Scripture. So he doesn't know as well all of these stories of promise, yet in his account, he's relaying facts. His description matches Old Testament prophecy, and it matches because Jesus does these things. It goes back to one of the great poems from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, and we see it very clearly, this picture of the suffering servant. And Isaiah says this, Who has believed that what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and he and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed and all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted 
yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The one to be numbered among the transgression transgressors, to be hung with criminals. This is a promise of who Jesus is, the suffering servant that will resolve the wrath of God against sin. See it in Psalm 22, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words that Jesus declares from the cross. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. If in you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them to you. They cried and were rescued in you. They trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in the Lord. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint my heart is like wax it is melted within my breast my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws you lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me a company of evildoers encircle me they have pierced my hands and feet i can count all my bones they stare and gloat over me they divide my garments among them for my clothing they cast lot Confirming who Jesus is, that he is the one that is promised, that trusts the Lord, that is called and anointed by the Lord to solve the sin of his people. And we could spend ages highlighting the things of promise that Jesus actually fulfills. But just in these 30 verses of Luke, we see that he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And this was the way it was actually meant to be. He had to take on suffering that was not his own. He had to take on punishment that we deserve. So the cross is confirming. But more than just matching promise, the cross actually produces something miraculous, something that is defining for us. And this is the champion moment. Now, just seeing this account, any level-headed person would not jump to the idea that this in itself, seeing what is happening, is actually winning, right? Because here, the hoped-for king is being slaughtered. This is seen as 
a loss. But in the divine redemptive plan, victory actually comes through what looks like defeat. Through sacrifice, through giving over of himself. And since I couldn't come up with a C word that means justification... And Iona has evangelistically been using among her friends the, the old Carmen song, The Champion. You remember this? Don't, hold on, Julie. I'm going to play a big portion this morning for you. But I love it because Iona, the seventh grader, is like playing it for all her friends. I'm like, you're either going to give them nightmares or draw them to Christ, which I love. So this is, this is great. So the champion is our word for this moment of what is happening, of where victory is actually coming through. And... As cheesy as it is, it's, it's the truth of how things actually went down. And so, how many of you have actually heard this song? The champion, yeah, everybody grew up. This came out in 1987, so Becca's like, I've never heard it. You haven't heard it? Oh, I'm saving some of you millennials. This is good. Sing it, John. So, so it starts off very poetically, and Carmen's like, in the vast expanse of timeless place. Where silence ruled the outer space, ominously towering it stood, the symbol of a spirit war. He's talking about the stadium that's being built between the one named Lucifer and the morning star, the ultimate good. And I'm getting into the voice too. Enveloped by a trillion planets, clean as lightning and hard as granite, a cosmic coliseum would host the end of the war between the Lord of sin and death and the omnipotent creator of man's first breath, who will decide who forever will be the champion. And then we're going to play the battle for you. Listen. I'll probably cry because I always get this song. Days and nights they fought. 
devils roared in victory. The saints, shocked and perplexed, as wounds appeared upon his hands and feet. Then Satan kicked him in his side, and blood and water flowed. And they waited for the ten count of defeat. God the Father turned his head, his tears announcing Christ was dead. The ten count would proclaim the battle's end. Then Satan trembled through his sweat in unexpected horror. Yet, as God started to count by saying, Ten. get a sense of it. A little, a little cheesy. It's eight minutes and 40 seconds long, so you should listen to the video yourself. How many of you acted that out in drama at church growing up? Or saw it live. Or saw it live. I've seen yeah. that live from Carmen, yeah. Um, and it's cheesy, and it's like dramatic, is that it's true. Like, this is what's happened for us on the cross, in the darkness, being mocked by those who hated him. Jesus takes on all that we deserve. Like the full weight of wrath against sin, a life of perfect obedience given in this moment for others, given for us. Luke says it, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his laugh. So wave after wave of sin is poured over Christ's sinless soul in this moment. And again and again, during those hours, his sin recoiled and convulses as all of our lies, our infidelity, our hatred, our jealousy, our murders and pride are poured into his purity. As Paul writes in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Jesus was cursed as he became sin for us in this moment. His body broken for you, his blood to shed, to establish a new covenant with you. As one writer says, the rending of the curtain means that access to God is granted to believers through the death of Jesus and also symbolizes that the old covenant, the Levitical priesthood and the temple have come to an end. Now believers, as the letter to the Hebrews teaches, have bold access to God through the death of Jesus as their great high priest. 
Because he did this, because he had this moment that seemed like loss and defeat, and it's actually victory for us. And it's defining for all who believe this death actually becomes yours. This satisfaction of the penalty of sin is yours. His righteousness is made yours through his substitutionary death for you. And then we can sing like the old hymn, my faith has found a resting place. My guilt, my soul, from guilt my soul is freed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This end my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. He gives up his spirit to the Father and everything changes in that moment. How many of you have seen the show Loki? Right? And it's, it's Marvel Universe's attempt to make sense of the multiverse and how it works. And I'm excited for season two to see where they go. But if you've watched that show, you know there's this timeline that's going. And when a variant, somebody who's doing stuff off script, acts, then a new timeline is formed and something changes. And it would erupt out of that. And at the end, um, total is spoiler, the variants prevail and the timeline is just busted into a million pieces and there's tons of different timelines which says freeze the writers of marvel to write whatever they want outside of canon of their storyline but when jesus dies on the cross the timeline of humanity shifts and it it changes where they're headed is no longer the path that we are on and it changes direction and it sails now to redemption One pastor says, in one sense, the whole storyline of the Bible has been about the tragic consequences of a separation between God and man and God's plan to put an end to it. And here, at the moment of Jesus's death, that plan of redemption comes to its fulfillment. The barrier is removed. The curtain is torn. And for the first time since Eden, man is welcomed again into the presence of God. So the the champion, our king, our savior and Lord, he is who he said he was And he accomplished what he promised to do. And this means that, friends, you in Christ are rescued. You are ransomed out of the grave to have life and purpose and pleasure in him. And on the cross, he sees you personally taking on your sin, your burden that is too heavy to bear. Jesus takes. Hebrews writer says that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For you he took it on. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, says he creates a universe already foreseen, or should we say seen, for there are no tenses in God, the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross. The flayed back pressed against the uneven stake. The nails driven through the medial nerves. The repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops. The repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. 
If I may dare the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. And from the moment when he said, let there be light, he understood that he would take this experience of the cross on for you. So this moment is confirming. It's a champion moment because victory is won and it's all of it is meant to be a compelling moment. And as I speak, I just keep hearing the champion in, in the headline. And so I'm looking for, maybe Becca should do background music for the rest of the sermon. Just okay. No, I'm kidding. So it's a compelling moment. Jesus died. Now, when the centurion saw what he had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. So Jesus's death is compelling. We see it in the response of those that witnessed it. The crowd, the crowd leaves beating their chest in regret. The centurion calls Jesus the righteous one. He says that he's surely innocent. Joseph of Arimathea will risk his status and role in the Sanhedrin to care for the body of his Savior, a body that typically would just be thrown into the ash. But beyond the witnesses of that day, this death is compelling because it's unique among all patterns of faith. Like Christianity doesn't stand as an equal among other ways of believing in our world, but it stands above them because every other way of believing, it is either the self that arrives at bliss or it's some actions of the individual that appease a deity. But only here in Christ does God actually lower himself and give himself for us. Like that day, all of humanity is going to fall into one of two categories. We are all one of two criminals on the cross. We can join with the rulers and mock Jesus using the breaths that we have of agony in our struggle and experience to scoff at Jesus. To say, how ridiculous, he can't even save himself. How ridiculous, these Christians, they can't even live a good life as the world has defined it. Or we can use our breath to cry out for mercy, to bring nothing but our need and ask to be remembered. And the defining difference is either death or paradise. One scholar says the certainty of Jesus's words to the criminal have been precious to Christians for two millennia. Here is a man being executed for a life of sin with no time to make up for it, with a life of righteousness and nothing at all to offer. And yet his simple request for Jesus is for Jesus to remember him in his kingdom. And it demonstrates his acknowledgement of Jesus's identity and his trust in Jesus's ability to save those whom he wills. It is exactly what King Jesus requires. Not righteousness, not credentials, but simple faith. And we're entering into a really weird season. Because all our friends are going to have Elf on the Shelf. And, you know, if you have Elf on the Shelf you need to go under church discipline. So we'll talk about it if you want to confess it and get it out of your house. Um, But do you know what it is? So it's an elf that people put on a shelf to get their kids to behave because he's going to tell Santa if they've been naughty or nice, right? 
Um, but we're entering Christmas Carol. We watched a new adaptation called Spirited on Apple Plus, and there's too many curses in it for general audiences. But it's a musical, and the Schraders love musicals, so we watched it. But the whole idea of the Christmas Carol is that you can be redeemed, and by being redeemed, you actually act different. Right? The, you're now good enough. And it's this continuing, am I ever truly redeemed enough? Am I ever good enough? Am I ever treating people with enough fairness and with enough kindness? But Christianity says that is bull, right? Because you aren't enough, but he is enough, the one on the cross. So you come with nothing. You come not with a hope of even after transformation that you're going to be a better person. You're going to get things right, which you, in fact, will with the Spirit's help. But you come saying, I am a sinner. I have nothing. And he welcomes you. He calls you his own. And there is no space for neutrality at the cross. There is no space for you trying hard and then Jesus delivering the rest. It is either all of him or none of him. You either reject his work, its provision, or you receive it. And it's so compelling that we then end up sticking with it for all of our lives. There's a lot to Christianity, to living as citizens in the kingdom. There are implications for us in our attempts to be like Christ. But we never move past the cross. It's the pattern for all of Christianity. We'll see it a little bit more in Luke 24 in a couple of weeks. But Paul will say to the Corinthian church, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So when the wisdom of men saying death on a cross is a loss, we can preach the crucified Christ, know that it is victory, and rest in his finished work for us. And it keeps us. So we're not going anywhere else. We stay with the finished work of Jesus. And through it all, we become then the compelling community that draws others to Jesus to their own defining moment of trusting him and giving their lives to him. That we, like Simon here, would take up our cross and follow Jesus that others would see. This is the one that said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It is fulfilled in our hearing of that word and in his death on the cross for us. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on the behalf On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The cross of Christ is the defining moment for 
all of humanity. Friends, be compelled to come in. The cross is for you. You cannot earn it. You can't pay for it with heritage or wealth. It is a gift if you will just ask for mercy. If you will surrender to this king, come to Jesus, trust him, trust his finished work for you. It is forgiveness. It is life. It is purpose. And it is a future with him. And then just cling to the cross. Be careful not to grow weary of glorying in the cross. Dwell on it. Live from it. Take it up yourself so others will see and be seen by Christ. This is what defines us. This is the moment that makes us. Therefore, we can now live. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors this is our moment we have been defined by it we are free in it and secure in him shall we live from it will you pray with me Jesus, we thank you for this moment, the the crucifixion, the moment we can't fully even recognize and the dynamics of feeling that sense of being forsaken on behalf of us, the weight of our sin, of all of our experience, and you take it on. Lord, this is a moment that defines all of humanity, but it defines us as those that trust in you. Because this work has been accomplished, because victory has been won, we have salvation, we have justification in you. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would make that Uh, abundantly clear to us this week as we move into a season of thanksgiving that we would start our days and end our days with a thankfulness for your death for us. Your gift of grace, your sacrifice in our place. That we would be a transformed people that ourselves would become a compelling story of your redeeming work that many more would be added to our number and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.